Welcome to the Apple Store Covent Garden in London, tonight's host, Sally Peck. Thank you very much. Uh, so we're here to talk about technology and parenting. And from what I can tell when I read blogs online, technology's basically ruined parenting, hasn't it? Last weekend, my husband and I were in a park with our children and he was pushing our son in the swing, but he was actually looking at the rugby scores on his phone. And I was having a conversation with my daughter about her phonics lessons in school, but I was actually answering work emails. So basically, technology is a mess, right? And it's taking us away from our kids. I was thinking about that this week, and then um, I talked to a friend whose son has type 1 diabetes. And she said that she has an app which is called Share by a company called Dexcom. And she said before she had this app, she got it last year, she had to be with her son all the time. She was always worried about his glucose levels. And now, it's really cool, Indy has a chip implanted in his arm, which through Bluetooth technology sends his exact levels to a phone that he carries with him, which sends his levels to his mother in real time anywhere she is, which means she's been able to go away on holiday for the first time in four years. She can monitor him when she's far away. It's amazing. Another mother said to me, she suffered from postnatal psychosis. She was really lonely, and she found online communities which allowed her to share her experience with other people and gave her a chance to feel like she wasn't alone and to be a great parent to her son at the same time. So these are extreme examples. More realistic examples, five years ago, I was um, preparing to be a mother for the first time, and I was reading what to expect when you're expecting in book form. So once a month, I would read the thing which said that my baby was now the size of a grapefruit, and uh, I would contemplate that and then put it away for another month. Parents today, it's a completely different ballgame. They have access to all kinds of really good information at their fingertips. Um, and luckily, our speakers tonight are going to tell you all about that. So first, um, not in order, we have Justine Roberts, who's CEO of Mumsnet and founder, the online community of, uh, for parents to share advice, support, and product recommendations. Justine also campaigns for a lot of issues, including children who have special educational needs, improve, improvements in miscarriage care, and freedom of speech on the internet. She's also a mother of four, and she has two dogs. Nick, at the end, is CEO and co-founder of Baby Bundle, which uses mobile technology to support new parents. Baby Bundle was first launched in April of 2014 in the US and became the number one parenting app there. In the UK, Baby Bundle is launching a new platform in partnership with Mumsnet, which is why we're here tonight. Developed in collaboration with medical experts, the platform is aimed at helping parents track and record their child's development and growth alongside extensive parenting resources, all easily accessed on one essential mobile toolkit. The one thing I'd like to ask Nick at the end of tonight is whether he's going to be marketing this to the NHS because I still carry around my red book, with a, which won't necessarily mean anything to you because you don't have children yet, but with all of my children's medical records. And when I was pregnant, I carried around my pink book with all of my medical records. And the, the idea that I could have this all on my phone is very exciting. Um, Nikki Stammers is creative strategist at Digitus LBI, the global marketing and technology agency, which helps bring businesses into the digital age and helps build communities digitally. She's also a mother of one and an avid documenter digitally of motherhood and pregnancy. And finally, we've got Katie Kirby, who writes the Hurrah for Gin blog. She started it two years ago. 
and through it she reaches more than 100,000 readers per month and she won the MAD blog of the year in 2015. And she has two sons and lives in Brighton. Now I'm going to kick off with questions for about 25 minutes, but I hope that you've all brought lots of questions that you're prepared to ask as well. Uh, now Justine, I wanted to kick off with you. Um, how do you think advances in technology have changed the way that we parent? Uh, it's kind of, you know, mums that was started 16 years ago, so we've, um, we were sort of right at the beginning of this whole thing. And um, in some ways, 16 years ago, when we talk about the advantages of allowing people to communicate digitally, we were doing that 16 years ago, so it doesn't feel like we've moved on that much. But then I look at the range of things on offer in the apps that we've just produced with the help of Digitas and Baby Bundle. And I realized that the, the, there is an infinite set of tools that we've only just scratched the surface of that are going to completely transform not just parenting, but everything. You know, our health, our life expectancy, our, you know, all, all these um, sort of difficult challenges about how we live our lives are going to be both met and sort of brought to the fore in terms of um, further philosophical challenges about you know what we do about them. Um, so I think we're just scratching the surface really and there are huge practical applications but the thing that hasn't changed is that technology allows people to digitally connect and to have real life community through a virtual world and that I don't think has changed and I think that's actually one of the core things that remains important about it. It allows people to connect and communicate. But why do we need that? What's wrong with our old communities? Uh, well, I'm a big believer in the wisdom of the crowd. I mean, Mumstead, if you have a problem with, I mean, Mumstead was set up to help you make the kind of parent you would be if you'd had three or four children to practice on first, um, to tap into the wisdom of people who've been there and done that, uh, and crucially, you know, got the vomit stained T-shirt. Um, and because all of us need to know that, you know, when our child, well, I was talking to Nikki about her daughter who's just embarked on the tantrum stage, and it is quite crucial to know that your child isn't, in fact, a psychopath. It is quite normal behaviour, and it would be abnormal if her toddler wasn't having tantrums. And being able to tap into a pool of people who've been there and done that really, really helps. It's so reassuring. So that's why I think connecting is important. And just if you just talk to your neighbour, or you just talk to your mother-in-law, which you know can be a problem, or you just talk to your best friend, who knows, they may not have gone through the thing you've gone through, but if you can have a wide crowd, it's incredibly reassuring. Nikki, what's your go-to tech as a mother? Um, I don't think there's one tech. I think probably my mobile would be where I start pretty much all of my journeys. I think um, there's been different things at different stages. Um, early on, I used my Sonos um, and Spotify uh, prolifically to get my daughter to sleep using <laughs> white noise. Um, and I could do it with, um, without entering the room or disturbing it any further, which was an absolute uh, godsend. Um, now, the kind of current godsend is, um, is my iPad um, and now TV, you know, CBeebies, um, iPlayer which is awesome because it creates um, a great distraction when your kid is going berserk in the back of the car. Um, uh, but also, you kind of need to operate with caution because conversely now, she, she wants it at bedtime. You know, it's, it's hey Dougie at bedtime. 
Um, so I think it, it changes depending on, on what stage you're in. Um, you know, but I agree with, um, with Justine, um, you know, the benefits far outweigh not having them all together. How do you limit it when she says she wants it at bedtime? Um, I've had to learn to become the adult, which is not something you realise you have to do when you become a parent, um, and just learn uh, to, to put my foot down, basically. Um, you know, I was recently um, uh, reading in The Guardian about the fact that literacy amongst children is something that's um, a real concern at the moment, and a big part of promoting literacy with children is continuing to read at bedtime. And so I think it's, um, you know, continuing to read around the subject as parents, which obviously digital and on-demand content helps with um, to kind of give you that um, extra uh, rationale um, when it comes to parenting or the extra backup that you wouldn't otherwise have. And Katie, what's your go-to <coughs> app technology? Um, well, we're doing a lot of um, phonics at the minute. My oldest is at school, so those are great. great. I mean, I love them for that, to be able to sort of teach them to read. I think they make it really engaging and interactive. So we, um, yeah, we use a lot of those type games at the minute and YouTube, which is great as well for all the cartoons and things. Um, Would you yeah, recommend any in particular? I forget all their names now. Um, I forget their names, but no, we've got quite a few where you kind of go around a house and you've got to, it sort of shows up the letter and you've got to guess what the word is and things like that. And they're, yeah, they're great. And we have a little rule that you've got to play two phonics games and then you can go and play Star Wars or something like that. So it's kind of, you know. But what do you think so. those games are doing that you or your partner wouldn't be doing? Um, I think it's just making it really interactive and exciting for them. It's just like the colours and the music and it makes it more into a fun game. Whereas, you know, just sitting down always and just going through books and it just gets boring for them. So I think it makes it into, it makes it seem like a fun thing that they're playing with. So They're sort of reactive as well. I really like Tokoboka, which is their children's games where it's not, it's, I mean, I remember computer games when I was a child, you know, there's a very clear path that you followed and you couldn't veer off it at all but with Chocoboca in particular you can you can explore things and interact with them yeah. and sort of poke at stuff and it, it reacts. Nick how do you see parents using technology different from the average person? Uh, well I thought you were going to ask me what, what parenting apps I actually uh, um, use but uh, yeah I think I'm probably the only person um, here who has more parenting apps on their phone but not being a parent myself. But <laughs> Um, but essentially, yeah, I, I mean, my, you know, I co-founded the Baby Bundle with, with my brother, um, and as I just said, I, you know, neither of us have, have any children ourselves. So, I think, um, you know, having that objective point of view from day one of, of not knowing, presuming, you know, how parenthood should be, and, and literally going to the kind of university of, of parenthood straight out of, you know, having worked in finance for three years and actually learning from, from, from scratch, you know, that this completely new world um, helped us actually realize, that actually listen to mothers and fathers of, of what they wanted in, in, in the digital age that we live in. Um, you know, essentially, you know, I think everyone in this room was born without, you know, when, without not being in the smartphone era and we, you know, looks like we all turned out pretty well. So essentially, it's, it's keeping up with the digital age and, and in today's lives that are managed by the smartphone era and, and, and obviously, you know, desktops as well, it's, it's a question of, of, you know, keeping up that efficiency and managing, helping manage parents' lives. So when we first started Baby Bundle, we must have interviewed over, you know, 500 mothers at the time and actually saying, asking them, what, what do you want from this app? Um, and what we realized is actually the parenting market was extremely fragmented where mothers had literally three or four different apps on their phone that, that provided different functionality, from, from tracking to a baby monitor app to 
WebMD baby for, for that as, as a health reference. Um, and what we realized is, is not, not to overdo it. What are the most relevant features for the first years of parenthood? Um, and that's, that's essentially how Baby Bundle was born. Mm. So pregnancy is one of the most crowded markets for parenting apps. There are a lot of things. How, as a parent, my sister-in-law is pregnant right now. How can she choose the right one for her? How can you, what are the different things that, for example, you're offering, Nikki, that others aren't? What makes this different? Yeah, just to pick up on a point there, we, um, so working with Mumsnet, we, we looked into the space um, in a lot of depth. And I think there's currently 1,500 um, pregnancy apps. It's, it's amongst the most competitive space. There's 100 that's been added in the last six months alone. Um, the top 10 have benefited from 17 updates um, and collectively have been downloaded over 20 million times. And I think, um, you know, the point that we were just talking about is people aren't using one single app quite often. They use a repertoire. Um, and our kind of um, objective has really been to make sure that we create something that doesn't generate more noise in the space, because that has become a genuine problem, I think, for parents trying to navigate all these different sources mm -hmm. and understand how to pick through what's expert versus what, what's not, mm -hmm. um, and, and understand what the genuine need is. So, so what is it that parents need in this kind of crowded space? Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think to your question, people are using word of mouth and recommendation, they're kind of going old school, but they're also using communities to find out which one um, to go for. I mean, in terms of creating something that answers a genuine need, we um, did a big kind of diary study with women throughout um, pregnancy across the three trimesters. Um, and it's really interesting to understand that the NHS is still really dominating um, the narrative around oh, pregnancy. Um, and I, I, I can't criticize them. You know, factually, they, they produce a lot of information. Um, and they've definitely come at it from the expert perspective, but they've really dictated the dialogue. And I think a lot of other players have taken that on board with content. So something we found that um, mums-to-be were really craving was understanding what the real lived experience is um, and understand that there is no right or wrong, which I think a lot of um, content providers and apps kind of seem to perpetuate, that it's not cookie cutter. Um, and so that's what kind of we aim to do with the pregnancy app is combine, yes, the kind of factual based um, information, but to really punctuate that with the real voices um, mm -hmm. of mums that have been there, done that, got the stretch marks um, to show for it. And that's, I think, really important, not only um, to make sure you've got both sides um, covered, expert and real lived experience, but I think also to support um, mums to be um, emotionally mm -hmm. um, and treat them as, as human beings and not patients, you know, mm. with personalities and sense of humour. Um, and so I think um, navigating it is, is really difficult. So creating something that answers a need and doesn't just replicate what's out there is really important. And that's really what we've aimed to do. I think that's true in pregnancy as a whole. It's either you know, heavily medicalized or heavily kind of magazinized, sort of yeah. this perfect view of, of amazingly beautiful supermodels with their you know, wonderful soft focus pink. Um, adorable pregnancy going on and, and what Mumsnet brings to the world generally is a certain amount of reality about life. Um, so, you know, we, we tell it like it is really. We try to do it with humour, which is the way parents largely get through this traumatic time in their lives. Uh, they have a gallows humour. So, you know, provide 
good information, uh, but to, to have that real voices which um, actually um, don't alienate because, mm. you know, very medical content could be quite alienating and very sanitized, beautiful content can be quite alienating. So we're trying to tell the truth, basically. And also cutting through the guilt. I mean, to pick up on what you were saying, one, I was talking to a mother earlier today who's, who's really excited about apps because you can tailor them to your own experience. Yeah. So for example, the NHS website, it's not interactive. It tells you you should breastfeed. You know, and yeah. breastfeeding is great. I'm not saying it's not great. If for whatever reason you decide you're not going down the breastfeeding route and you have an app, you can say, okay, I'm bottle feeding and it will just tell you about that so you don't get the daily guilty reminder. Um, it, it's very, you know, or say you're single. You don't have a, a constant reminder of, you know, dad could be doing this right now and you think, oh, great. Um, and and the, the tailored, the customized aspect of apps is what makes it so different from five years ago when I was having a child and I could Google but I didn't have my own journey. I, that's right, but it's also, you know, I hate to hark on, but it's about community. It's about, you know, I'm finding it just difficult to breastfeed. Is this normal? Is there anyone can, who can help me in the middle of the night when I'm weeping and, you know, my boobs are, uh, are feeling like they're about to explode and all that kind of stuff. And that's where the community comes in because they're there 24 seven, unlike, you know, a lot of the medical advice, which is, you know, it, it makes me crazy the way midwives are not really allowed to say it's painful. Well, yeah. I'm sorry, but, you know, it is initially, it can be, it's not the end of the world, but it can be quite painful breastfeeding, but you get through it. And mm -hmm. that's where real people can sometimes help people. So, mm -hmm. you know, actually it's access to those real voices I think, again. I, yeah, I think that's a, a big issue is, is literally the amount of information that's out there and having to sift through it. And that's why I think, you know, that's, that's probably the principal reason why we partner with Mumsnet is, is you hear it from the horse's mouth. It's, it's actually mothers giving advice to other mothers. Um, or fathers as well. Um, but essentially, that's, that's, that's the issue. I mean, an interesting statistic is, is um, three months prior to birth, this is a, a US statistic, but three months prior to birth and three months after birth, your, your first-time mom spends on average 6.3 hours a day consuming parenting media, which is a hell of a lot of time. And that's just because wow. there's so much information out there that what do they do? You know, who do they turn to? And, and it's a question of you know, the use of apps is, is simplifying what's out there. Um, the tools, the information, everything. I think that's a really good point, sorry, um, is, is that I, I think that's why apps have really taken off in this space is, is that, and particularly apps that come from a brand that you trust are ones that tend to be downloaded most is because you trust them to curate the right kind of content. I mean, something that we found when we were talking to first-time mums in particular, which have very different, actually, digital behaviour from subsequent pregnancies, was that they have a pr propensity to, to, to get into these fear tornadoes. So, you know, exactly, yeah. Mm. Um, and they, you obviously can't unsee something that you've seen. Mm. Um, and I think that's why, um, you know, curating and giving people reassurance um, that you understand that audience implicitly um, and tailor the experience in a personalised way is really important. I was just going to say, you know, with the fact that it's 24-7, there's so much information out there, so many communities, the only careful thing is that it's just getting the balance right because it can become so all-encompassing. You can't step away from it and you just feel like you're kind of constantly looking up the answer to this and the weather and it's kind of just making sure you've got a healthy balance, I think. so. Yeah, it is true. We're sometimes asked to ban people because they're so addicted, which is, you know, we're here to make parents' lives easier, but actually their house is a mess, their children are neglected, and their washing isn't done because they can't get off the website. <laughs> um, 
Now, one thing when we talk about parenting and technology that people often bring up is privacy and how you protect your child's privacy while still maintaining a role in these communities. So, Katie, I wanted to ask you your thoughts on that. What are the long-term implications for our intimate lives if you're blogging, if you're illustrating your children's lives? Yeah, I, I think it's such a personal thing. I mean, obviously, some people don't like putting anything up about their kids, even on their own personal Facebooks that's locked down. They just, you know, they just don't want to do that. And obviously, I've made a decision that I do share stories and things about my kids. I don't use that many photos and I don't use their names, although some people do. I think it's just you've got to decide. <coughs> Sorry, you've got to decide what's comfortable for you. And um, at the minute, they're too young to really be that aware of what I'm doing, but that could change, you know, in, a, in another couple of years, perhaps I'll feel uncomfortable sharing stuff about them because it's not, it's not, um, it's not stuff that everyone can relate to, like kind of toddler kind of elements, it becomes more personal and more about their relationships and then as, them as the individual people. So, so yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's a personal thing, I think, but. but. And relating to that, actually, Justine, maybe you can look into a crystal ball into the future because one thing I find is when, when children are young, people are a lot more willing to share photographs and, and stories about what they've done. But then you inch up towards secondary school and into the secondary school years, and people become a bit more private about their children, which is understandable, the children are becoming individuals. But, I, but where is that community? Do you think that's a community that will grow, that parents, you know, parents of young children now are going to keep sharing? Or do you think they'll also pull back when the kids get older? Um, well, my experience is parents keep sharing, but they share less about their children and more about their other relationships, shall we say. Um, so, you know, on Mum's Night, the biggest, the busiest forum we have is called Am I Being Unreasonable? Um, and that is essentially a sort of agony aunt um, type space where people are looking for validation about the emotions they're feeling to do with all their myriad of relationships, including their neighbour, their boss. Uh, particularly their other halves and their mother-in-laws. Um, and so I think, you know, the sharing happens, but people do become more cautious about their children, not least because, quite frankly, their children will, will, really, give, will really tell them off. I mean, you know, I've been told off enormously for, I thought, quite anodyne mentions of my children in, in various media. But um, so you learn pretty quickly. I think the other thing to mention is the notion of privacy in itself. I think we're all too, even if we think we're being private, we're, the fact is we are so easily found, as we found out at Mumsnet over the summer, very um, visibly when we, the site was hacked. And, um, you know, I was, I, I don't know if people know what swatting is, but I was swatted because my data was easily found online, even though I'm pretty anal about my data. Um, so I think, you know, the truth is in this world where data is so easily accessed by hackers, you should pretty much assume that people can find out stuff about you and your kids and really it, we're all going to have to get used to how we process that and these digital footprints I think we will all get a lot more relaxed about what's out there because actually it's all out there whether you think it is or not. And as product designers and developers Nikki and Nick I mean how do you feel about what what do you think when you think privacy I mean how does that make you feel what sort of I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a big issue. Um, I mean, in, in terms of the, the, the kind of media side of it and, and, and photo sharing, I mean, a lot of, with, with, with privacy being at the forefront of, of social media issues that are you know, being discussed today, it's, it's, you know, a lot of the, the media that is shared is photographs. Um, and less and less so people are using Facebook and Instagram to do so because they realize that actually, you know what, where is this going? The, the, these 
all these kind of stories come up, you know, these terrifying stories about, you know, what happens to your data and, and these photographs. Um, and, you know, we, we were actually in the process of, of developing a, a photo sharing app called, uh, well, feature called the Stream of Life, which is actually creating a private network around that baby, where, where you get to choose exactly who, you, who views that baby's stream, stream of life, let's say. So you can choose the godparents or the relatives. Or, so you've actually got a closed network around that baby. Um, aside from the fact that also people who do share on Facebook, it, it frustrates their friends because, you know, the amount of hundreds of baby photos and all these babies look the same, you know, they're, they're just these constant streams of, of, of babies. And it's, so it's, it's a question, yeah, it's, it's a big issue, I think, on, on that side of things. I think also the, the, the data that, you know, we collect in our app is, is, you know, we make it very clear that it actually belongs to the user, you know, the self. I mean, we, we can aggregate the data and, and, you know, use that data anonymously to, you know, I suppose, you know, uh, to, to help um, companies like the WHO, for instance, who, who update their growth charts every decade, um, and as you, as you know, which are in the NHS Red Book, whereas we have you know, real-life growth data that we can you know, anonymously, anonymously share. So there's, there's an upside to it as well, but we're very careful to, to let the user know that, that, that it belongs to them. You know, it's, not, it's, it's something that after those two years of parenthood, you can export that data, you can keep that yourself, but it, essentially it's, it's on your account, that's, that's all your own personal data. I think just to add to that, I think our big responsibility is transparency. And I think that's where a lot of the big social networks and platforms um, are kind of really getting it wrong, to be quite frank. Um, I think it, quite often the wording's tricksy. I think the settings are difficult to navigate. Um, and I think that's what we owe people um, who are interacting with our products is, is true transparency about what's happening to their data. I mean, often when we work with, um, you know, brands, marketers or, or publishers, it's, it's actually, um, uh, you know, it's, it's collaborative understanding how we store that data. But in some instances, it's, it's a choice that we can put back in the hands of, um, of the consumer, um, you know, whether it's content, sorry, data that they want to export and store on their own terms or whether they want to pay for um, storage, secure storage, um, whether it be in the cloud or on servers. Um, but I think transparency and choice actually are the two and main the, important points. There's also an ethical question there, which is, you know, a, a baby, you know, a, a parent posting pictures of that baby, what, you know, what rights does that baby have? You know, further down the line, at, you know, when it turns five or it realizes what Facebook is and you know, the, those photos are still in the ether. They're, they exist somewhere. And it's, you know, a question of, yes, that parent is taking that conscious decision to, to share data and photographs, you know, to the world. But essentially, it's, you know, that, that baby's a human being as well. So it's, it's, you know, there's that question as well. So um, I wanted to know where you all think this is going. What, I just wanted to give each of you a chance to say, what is the future of technology and parenting? How are we going to use it differently, say, in a year's time, in five years' time? Um, I think we're getting to the point now where, um, you know, we, we've just done a big study with um, 16 to 24-year-olds to understand their digital behaviours. Um, and it's really funny um, to understand that they kind of see the big kind of networks like Facebook as kind of really mumsy. And there's a huge migration um, to private messaging. Um, that's kind of private in inverted commas because they understand more than anybody else um, that private doesn't actually mean private anymore. Um, and they've kind of become their own best kind of mini brand managers of that. So I think um, the kind of the move towards um, niche communities is going to continue and more private communities with services like WhatsApp, Messenger, Snapchat, kind of collectively overtaking new signups on big social networks. 
Um, I'd kind of like to see more um, kind of automation of, um, of monitoring and censorship to help parents um, kind of monitor what their children are seeing um, and do online. Um, and I think kind of the trend around um, the Internet of Things and kind of connected physical devices kind of will really continue. How would that look, the automated monitoring? Um, I have no idea. Um, <laughs> it sounds really good. <laughs> yeah, it sounds great. Um, I think it's definitely a challenge that um, you know we're having to look into. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, working with people that um, uh, brands and, and marketers whose primary audience are parenting. Uh-huh. Um, but as to what it looks like, I'm not sure yet. I think to some extent we are a bit of a guinea pig generation in this stuff. So a lot of where we head next will depend on the results of this kind of large experiment we're all part of. Um, You know, I have a lot of parenting conundrums around digital lifestyles, but I really don't know whether, you know, four hours of Minecraft is equivalent to four hours of Lego or it's much, much worse. And I have no experience of my own childhood and a digital world to draw on so you know many things I made many mistakes when I was young you know I got drunk I threw up and I if my kids do that I sort of think well okay you know I survived I'm okay but I have no experience of playing four hours of Minecraft today and knowing whether that's dulling my brain or not so I think we will be informed a little bit by the results of and hopefully more hard evidence and research so parents can make better decisions Uh, But I'm also hoping technology will solve the biggest conundrum of uh, our parenting lives, which is how you make dads do their fair share. Um, I've resorted to Excel spreadsheets and lists, but actually I'm thinking that maybe what we need is a tracker uh, and a constant reminder service, possibly an embedded painful chip that makes a buzz that says you haven't done, you haven't pulled your weight mate and then Cattle maybe. prod functionality. Yeah, yeah, exactly, something like that. So well, I'm hoping for that. Nick, can you oblige maybe <laughs> in our next it, update? Yeah. <laughs> Nick, do you want uh, to go next? Yeah, no, I was going to, yeah, I mean, it, I completely agree with, with, with what everyone said here. I, I mean, I think the other thing is being careful is, you know, there's a lot of technology out there that, is is helping is attributing you know I suppose making neurotic parents more neurotic, which is you know I, th- I I'm one thing that springs to, sector that springs to mind is the wearable tech space for instance where you know they're, they're, it's a it's a very sexy space in Silicon Valley but at the end of the day in in, in the baby space there you know there's certain wearable monitors you know little socks that babies wear and um, little bands as well that manage, measure heart rate oxygen levels things that actually you know they claim are, you know, are going to prevent sudden infant, I- I- sudden infant death syndrome where no one actually knows you know, what cause, causes SIDS anyway. Um, but there were, you know, there were roughly over just 3,500 SIDS cases in the US alone after you know, there are 4 million births a year there. So essentially, you know, selling these products using fear marketing and, and actually being like, okay, well, you know, measure your baby's oxygen levels every night that it sleeps, its heart rate. I mean, you know, it, it, is there a point to that? But it, essentially there's a market of, you know, instilling that fear in parents and, and actually getting them to buy it. So there's, there's a fine line between, you know, overdoing it and, and I think, you know, simplifying it is, simplified apps and technology will be the successful ones. And Katie, and one thing I wanted to add onto yours, which is why I brought you last, was I see a sort of dual world for parents online. One is the individual shouting, like vlogging's become so much bigger, but it's all about me and my experience. 
and then there's this community building that we're talking about. And how do you see the future of those two different strains of parenting online? Are they going to go together, separate? Oh, vlogs and blogs, it's quite personal. Mm -hmm. It's talking about your experience. Do you think that's going to merge more with communities or do you think the community side's going to build more rapidly? Um, I, uh, vlogging is just something that you either get or you don't, I think, and it's just not, it's not for me. So it's, it's difficult to kind of speak on that side of things. But no, I think the community is really important. I think people like to have that two-way communication. They like to have that support, ask questions, you know, get answers in return so I, I see that as yeah there's that that's the future really not not so much blogging yeah great um, and now I just wanted to open up to the audience and see if you have any questions that you'd like to ask any of the panelists um, what was uh, the best um, tool that you used as a parent um, outside of technology what was your favorite bit and are, are there any solutions that have come through tech that have sort of solved difficulties around that I think um, the Grow Company, just I don't have any links to them whatsoever, so there's, there's no kind of vested interest, are really interesting in terms of the kind of um, innovative parenting tools that they produce. Um, I mean, I, I've become a massive advocate, um, you know, during kind of bringing up my 21 months old, and I'm sure they'll continue to be useful. Um, but around the kind of monitoring um, side of things, but being genuinely innovative. Um, I don't know much about them. Uh, so like the Grow Egg, so they help you monitor room temperature. Um, they came up with a grow bag. So instead of you having to repeatedly walk into your child's room and put the blanket back on, they literally zipped into the bag so they can't get out. Um, benefit is they're warm all the time, all the right temperature. Um, they have kind of the grow clock, so they know um, what time of um, day it is. So if they wake up before dawn and the sun isn't shining, they know they have to play in their cot happily until um, mum and dad get up. So I think um, that side of things is, is interesting. Outside of um, uh, you know, kind of the stuff that we've been talking about today. I think services like Amazon Prime, like um, Ocado, have been absolute kind of, they were godsends to me when, um, you know, they are now. Uh, you know, being able to get products kind of on demand when you need them, um, the stuff that you need that you would never ever have guessed that you need immediately um, are kind of untold. Um, so, yeah, they would be kind of mine. I mean, I, I, I think of this in a way as what products do I wish was around, my kids are quite grown up now, that are out there now, which I didn't have access to. And for me, you know, it's everything that alleviates guilt, really. I have four kids and inevitably what happens is you have lots of pictures of the first one and maybe two and then nothing. Um, and, you know, when people, my kids ask me, what was my first word? No idea. I make it up, you know. Um, and I, so something that helped me monitor and track all that and keep everything organized in that fog of kind of just trying to survive, really. And it does seem that a lot of the tools we're producing and are being produced allow you to do that. And anything that alleviates parental guilt, I think, is a great thing. And um, mine would always uh, sleep really well when I took them out to, like, uh, cafes or the pub you know it's a good one um, and so uh, it was not, and then I used for my second one when we weren't able to get out to the pub quite as much obviously when you've just got one it's quite easy to kind of nip out um, like apps that have background white noise and you can get bar noise and cafe noise and crowd noise and stuff like that and they were really useful for getting them to sleep because babies just don't like the you know the dead quiet so 
Um, well, I'm, I'm not a parent, but uh, <laughs> yet. But um, yeah, I suppose what's something you can replace? I, I suppose toys you can't really replace. You know, you know, and um, you know, I know that my my monkey <laughs> lasted a few years after my, you know, after when I was a baby. And I think that you know that's something else is you know you can't really have a relationship with Peppa Pig over an iPad screen. It's um, I think that's also you know a vital aspect to parenting. Um, going back to, I suppose, what you, what you initially brought up about the Red Book, um, people, you know, people still are given the Red Book by the NHS, and it's, and, you know, it's a question of simplifying what already exists and also you know, creating efficiencies with that doctor-patient dialogue as well, where you can actually maybe send your information ahead of your appointment as opposed to frantically feeling guilty that you haven't filled in your growth charts or your vaccinations. And, and um, so, yeah. But. Mm. I would add one more actually. Um, I'm not going to do it for you now, so count yourselves lucky, but um, I sing to my children all the time. It's the only thing when there are babies that would calm them, when they got older that would focus them, if we're in a long car journey that makes them stop crying. Um, and I, I have quite a wide repertoire, but, um, but it has its limits. And the great thing is YouTube, because I can get not, I mean, my daughter has a thing for ABBA, which, you know, don't judge. Um, and I can call up any video at any time, day or night, and, and they're so happy, these ABBA people, and they're dancing, and it's glitzy. And that is actually something I can remember vaguely, my mother, when I was a child, just being really fed up with us. And I think having that tool, it kind of gives you a moment to get away from throwing a fit yourself as a parent. Because you can, and, and it's, technology can sound so passive. But something like watching a YouTube video of Neil Young or ABBA with my children, it's, we're all singing along and we're all doing it together. Um, and it has completely saved my life. <laughs> what emphasis is, uh, is placed on information tech products so it's localized for the UK? Good question. Um, yeah, we, um, uh, yeah we, I, listen, I think from day one we realized that you know, we, we launched in America last April. And, um, one of the, I suppose, first things we picked up on was localization. Was actually, you know, if we were going to bring the app to the UK, was, oh, you know, we can't call nappies diapers, for instance. You know, things like that. Where actually, localization is 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 very important in the parenting world. It's one of the principal, you know, in pieces of information we got, you know, given when we were interviewing mothers. Is actually, we we want an app that is made for our country. I mean, it, it, to to have that kind of that peace of mind and that layer of trust as well um, is extremely important. So, you know, we, we've, I think, you know, we're, we're pretty unique as a parenting app in that we do that. I mean, aside from anything else, we have a lot of features in there that, that have sp content specific to, you know, different countries and uh, even different spellings. Um, but at the same time, yeah, it's, it's, you know, we put a massive emphasis on it and, and it's resonated very well. I think um, in an age where we can't really escape kind of um, hyper-relevance and personalization, there's much more of an expectation from consumers on content to be um, kind of local to them and hyper-local at that. I think with parenting in particular, there's a lot of subjects that are kind of enduring and global, um, and you can connect with anybody all over the world, um, you know, within the limits of language. Um, and their experience will be exactly the same. And I think that's the beauty of um, uh, connected information. But I think also um, parenting um, quite often, uh, I think we've got a responsibility to, to, to provide parents with kind of reassurance. And I think often that comes with um, 
creating products that are kind of nuanced and demonstrate understanding um, of you, of your local community, um, of, of where you're at. So I think some stuff is global and I, and I think it's important um, uh, not to become overly um, kind of, uh, uh, you know, localized with information, but I, I do think people are demanding it much more. I mean, just a random stat, apparently 80% of searches on pregnancy are common throughout the world. So 80% of search queries are the same, doesn't matter where you're searching them. So there is a lot of common ground. It's just like everything, it's the way you communicate it. I mean, unfortunately, or fortunately, Mumsnet is Mumsnet, not Mumsnet. So <laughs> that's always going to be British a problem. The British can never say that word. It's incredible. There's also, I mean, it's, it's the medical content that you have to be very careful about. I mean, essentially, you know, if you are going to be, if you are a yeah. parenting app, it's, it's, you, you fall under that mobile health umbrella where, you know, having the, the, the growth charts, the national averages of, of the US and trying to apply them to the UK, just, it just isn't correct. And, you know, you shouldn't expect UK mothers to, to stand for that, essentially. And the same thing with the vaccination schedules and your, 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 your checkups, your regular checkups with the NHS. They're completely different for what the CDC, you know, recommend as well. So... It's it, it, you know one has to be very careful with the medical side. Along the lines of social media, most um, social media sites say 13 is the minimum age. In my experience, most parents and kids ignore that. What do you think is the right age for a tween? As I've got an 11-year-old to join social media, she's on one, by the way, and it was Snapchat. I kicked her off it the other day after they changed the terms of service, but they clarified that, so she's back on it. But just wonder what your thoughts were. Uh, this question is a bit like uh, people often ask on Mumsnet and elsewhere, what, what, what age can I leave my kids alone? And the answer really from the Mumsnet audience is it depends on your child. Uh, only you can know really how responsible your child is, how much they understand the messages you're probably giving them, which is, you know, be careful with your data, not everyone who is who they say they are, um, and how much they're going to be hoodwinked. And, and that will be relevant to different kids at different ages. So I, for instance, have a 12-year-old son and a nine-year-old son, and I know who I would trust more to you know, find his way about town uh, and get himself home from the tube. It's, and it's not the older one. Um, so, um, you know, I, I, having said that, I think if you can stick to 13, there's plenty of time to be obsessed by Facebook and, and all the rest, and boy, will they be, and you will be spending your life trying to get them off. So if you can hoodwink them into, it doesn't matter what your friends are doing, the rules are the rules and you're going to end up in prison. If you break it, then try it. Because uh, I think the, the longer you can keep them off, the better, really. I think it's about, um, I think all the, the basic tenets of parenting kind of applies to this situation, in my opinion, as, as any other. I think you need to um, educate them as best you can and, and warn them of, um, of the dangers. And I think you just have to allow them to make um, their own choices. Um, I kind of say this without having a child that is old enough to make its own choices. Um, she's trying um, at the moment. Um, 
but I think, um, you know, interestingly, um, when children get to kind of 13, 14, and they're kind of on Facebook, they really, they're really savvy. They understand that mum and dad's looking at um, their profile. They're looking at all of their interactions. And they'll be there. Um, it makes them sound manipulative, and, and it's not. They'll be there kind of crafting their online persona for your, um, for your eyes. Um, you know, as I'm saying, like, they know that they're kind of the central actor, that they're the, their own publicist, that they're own that they're their own manager now um, and so all of that is they kind of understand and they get so I think it's you know it's just about kind of equipping them with the knowledge to make the best decisions and I think that's all you can do. Yeah, I think it's a bit like asking when they're old enough to have sex or when they're old enough to try alcohol because as you say so much of it's about the preparation and the education around these things. Okay so there are four up there right and the first one is Mum's Net Talk so the second one is, is Mum's Net Baby Bundle, um, which is the kind of, yeah, the postnatal app designed for the first two years of parenthood, uh, which includes track, tracking functionality and, and proprietary content written by Mum's Net and, and Dr. Care anyway on the, with the health reference. But um, more importantly, also includes Mum's Net Talk, uh, which is the forum um, kind of community side of Mum's Net. Um, as well as um, a news feed, which is, which is written by Mumsnet's editorial team, which is a very engaging um, way of, of providing information and tidbits of, you know, interesting, uh, yeah, pieces of information for, for, for mothers, yeah. So it's, it's a, I think we've got eight features in there, so it's, it's pretty feature-rich, yeah. I think you've beaten us. Um, so the third one is um, the Pregnancy Tracker app. Um, so what you can see there is um, a, a kind of central kind of navigation tool, if you like, the wheel. So it allows you to track through um, your weeks and get week by week content. Um, and that's, I think the really interesting thing about the content that you're getting is kind of, as we were saying earlier, it's, it's kind of a curation of, um, of content written by um, kind of the Mumsnet editors. But importantly, it's all those kind of beautiful kind of real lived experience and voices um, of the community. And I think we also have um, endeavoured to recognise that um, you as a person are going through um, a huge shift and a huge change so we want to talk about you and your body and your emotional needs as well as kind of how your baby's developing um, and whether it's the size of a walnut or a watermelon and also on there is is a function around journaling so what we kind of found out was that um, people I, I think everyone knows that you can kind of keep um, kind of great analog books, beautiful books, um, once your child um, has arrived. Um, but there's actually very little that allows you to um, kind of get close to your unborn um, child in a, in a kind of tangible sense. So there's a feature there that allows you to kind of journal your um, your journey through pregnancy, through kind of taking bump selfies um, and kind of leaving little notes um, uh, to remind you of your journey and um, that you can um, show your child when it gets old enough, um, which I'm sure would be interesting to them um, and probably embarrassing. Everything's embarrassing, isn't it? Great. Well, thank you so much, everyone. Um, and thank you all for coming tonight. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks.